Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I thought it was best this week to just remind you guys right at the outset that these shows are all pre-recorded. So uh, welcome to pre-recorded show number two. Although by saying that, I now force myself to release this one on Tuesday. So I guess happy Tuesday, everybody. Oh, well, you take the, the uh, what's the word that the Rob Palinka called? Did he call it optionality? I got rid of my optionality here. So happy Tuesday. Pre-recorded show number two. It's Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. I'm Dan Bespris. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody, as we rumble through August. We are almost into, uh, like, season's almost in view. It starts later this year, by the way. I uh, admit I was kind of caught with my pants down a little bit, much to all of your delights, I'm sure. The... Last year was the 18th, previous year was the 19th, you know, with the calendar outside of leap years. It shifts one day every year because 365 is not a perfect, or 7 doesn't go into it evenly, 7 goes into 364, blah, 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 nerd alert. Anyway, so instead of going to the 17th, they pushed it back a week later. So I, the penultimate Tuesday of the month at this point means October 24th is opening night this year, which I'm very upset about. It means we have an extra week to to kill before we get fantasy basketball back. But it does mean that we also then have an extra week to talk about fantasy draft season stuff. So that'll be fun when we start to pivot into that. Right now, we're in the middle of the case for number three, and this is what should be the final episode of that series before we move into our next little featurette here. It's 2023 offseason. We are down to about two names left. Back on Thursday of last week, we covered a battle of Nikola Jokic versus the field for the number one spot. We came to the... Conclusion that it's probably still Jokic, but that Joel Embiid actually has a pretty damn reasonable case to be taken number one. And so then that meant that we couldn't do a case for number two. So this year, as uh, last year we did the case for number two, this year we're doing the case for number three. On Friday, we... Did I get my days goof-a-looped there? I think on Friday we talked to Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant. No, I got that wrong. So this is all earlier. Wednesday we did... Jokic versus Embiid. Thursday, we did AD and KD. AD and KD. This feels like a TBS sitcom. Uh, Friday, we did Steph and Dame. And then on uh, pre-recorded show number one, that should have aired yesterday if I had functional internet. Hopefully, I did. Well, I won't know for a couple days from now. We discussed Jason Tatum and Luka Doncic. Today, we dive into the two players that I believe have the best case to be taken at number three in fantasy drafts this year, and that is Tyrese Halliburton and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. As you guys may recall, well, maybe you don't. I don't know. We can go back through it. We were... Well, Shea Gilgis-Alexander was on the old man squad this past season, but he wasn't nearly high enough. So that was like a, yeah, 
we got that one, but do we really deserve credit for it? You know, it's like when you get the right answer to the math question, and then your teacher's like, how'd you do it? And you're like, I don't know. We liked Shea because he was getting wildly underdrafted because of a preseason injury, but no one in the entire fantasy community had him going early first round. That was a surprise to everyone. But that's not even really that important for this particular description. That's just where we were on Shea this past season. I was, I don't want to say down on Tyrese Halliburton this last year. I just thought that there was way more risk involved than people were willing to let on. And as draft season went forward, I believe it was heavily the Roto World ranks, which I think, you guys don't necessarily quote me on this, were up until this past season, or up until this coming season, done by the great Ryan Knauss, who's been on this show a couple of times, and he was the dude that gave us all Desmond Bain two seasons back. He's freaking brilliant. And he had Halliburton, I believe, at like five. And people started seeing that. And fantasy basketball is, unfortunately, a little bit of a copycat business. It's happened to my boss more times than he can count. Aaron Bruski. You don't think folks took one look at the B-150? It still happens. Now there's so many lists out there that maybe it's not quite as prevalent, but for many years, the B-150 had to be released somewhat late because if Brew put that thing out a month before the season, everybody else's ranks just pivoted to look more like his. That was the power of it. And you certainly have seen that with other lists as well. And I think this past season, you saw a little bit of that with Tyrese Halliburton and with Roto World's ranking board. Which, again, shout out to Ryan Knaus, who was one of the many incredible writers over at Roto World that was let go this last year. I had plenty of rants on that on the podcast. I don't need to go down that path again. But what happened was, personally, I felt that it had gotten pushed too high. And that's okay. We can disagree. There was no bad blood because of it. But what then happened in the fantasy community is that other folks saw this, and so then everybody has to try to climb over the person in front of them, if that makes sense. Think of it this way. A bunch of fantasy analysts are hanging off the side of a cliff. (laughs) Great way to start this discussion, Dan. This isn't morbid or, or dark at all. All of us are hanging off the side of the cliff. And in this particular case, Ryan Knauss is... The dude with his fingers on the edge of the cliff. And apologies if I'm getting this wrong. I I think that Ryan did them, but I'm not 100% sure. Ryan, you're amazing. Your ranks are fantastic. Your fantasy analysis is incredible. But folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. 
Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. So, again, maybe I should just say Roto World because I don't know 100% sure. I just think so. Um, and so then other analysts are dangling from his leg in this scenario. And when they see him going at five with Halliburton, they realize that they better climb up him if they're going to end up with sort of the best take on Halliburton. So analyst B, whoever that turns out to be, climbs over Knauss and gets up to the top or higher on this sort of like barrel of monkeys game of fantasy analysts that are all dangling. And now they're going at five or they're going at four even. You know, maybe a less dark metaphor would have been like that uh, name that tune where they're like, I can name it in nine beats. And then someone else is like, well, I can name it in seven beats. That's basically what happened with Halliburton this last year. But I wasn't part of it. Nay, I say. In this particular case, we have here at Sports Ethos, myself personally, which uh, my opinions generally line up with Brewski and the B-150, but not always. This time they very much did. Where we both looked at it and we were like, and Brewski two years ago, not this most recent season, but the pre- the, the previous one, the which I guess would have been the Halliburton rookie year. Uh, no, not the rookie year, the, the year of the trade. Honest to goodness, I can't remember who goes when. I'm all confused on everything. What year do these things happen? That was the year that Ethos was very high on Halliburton because he was going like around 60. I think that was his sophomore year. And he was sort of squirting along at like 40, so it was already a win, and then he got traded, and he was top 20 the rest of the way. So that was the big win. Um... I personally went back the other direction this year, which I think tends to be the case with guys. They like players typically don't, especially young guys. Maybe I should amend that statement. Young guys typically don't outperform their ADP over and over and over again. You get sort of like the one big winning year, and then usually the pendulum swings too far, which is what happened with Halliburton. Everybody saw him posting late first, early second round value in, in two months with Indiana. And they said, oh, well, this like now he's going to take the reins and he's going to take that step forward. Well, per game-wise, he did take a little step forward. But he was on an Indiana team where the other pieces didn't really line up. They had Buddy Heald, they had Miles Turner. That's not a team that was about to make a super deep playoff run. And so there was always this big risk factor. Because I think Halliburton played in every game except for one or two the previous year, without looking that up in front of me right now. The big risk with him was, there were two. Okay, the tail end of the 2021 season, meaning the one that ended like 16 months ago or whatever it was, during the stretch run, the Halliburton is now with Indiana, he averaged 17-10 and 10 with about two steals, and two three-pointers, and he was number 20. So folks that were taking him as high as number five this last year, they had to be banking on sort of a double bump. He was going to get to do more, and 
he was also going to be playing in every ballgame. You needed both of those things to be true for him to get up into that stratosphere. And you only got one. You needed a lot of things to go right. But, here's the beauty part. This year, you really only need one thing to happen for him to get that next bump. The only thing you need to happen this year is you need him to play in more ballgames. Because he was already number eight on a per-game basis this last year. He was lumped in with Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry. He was ahead of Tatum, who played 74 games this season. What if Halliburton comes out and says, I'm going 74 games this year? Well, we already know, thank you to Basketball Monsters Rank Board, that Jason Tatum in 74 games by totals elevated him to number four. That was at number 11 per game. Halliburton was better than Tatum this year per game. So if you throw, th- throw him up to 74 games, he's now number four. And, and this is the other side of it, if Halliburton happens to do a tiny bit more, and uh, remains to be seen because, you know, 21 points, 10 assists on great percentages, three three-pointers, it's hard to improve on that. But you never know, extra half shot per game, extra half free throw per game, these little things that add up over the course of a season. Plus, by the way, it's worth pointing out on the per-game side that there's a high likelihood that one of the dudes in front of Halliburton falls behind him, and that dude would be Damian Lillard. There's also a possibility that somebody comes from behind to try to pass him. I just don't think that's that. It's that uh, likely. You say, oh, well, someone always comes out of nowhere to, to land inside the top seven. That's actually not true. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was, was uh, wildly unexpected. DeJounte Murray was the surprise first-rounder the year before. Uh, there wasn't a surprise first-rounder the season before that. The top 12 on a per-game basis two seasons back, the 2020 season, the one that ended two years ago, Jokic, Steph, Kyrie, Embiid, Harden, Kawhi, KD, Jimmy Butler, Dame, Vooch. That was uh, the season that ended in Chicago, but he was putting up his big numbers in Orlando. Cat and Bradley Beal. That was your top 12 that year. Not a surprise to be found. Season before that, I guess you could say the surprise was Hassan Whiteside. So yeah, it happens. It's typically not the top three. Whiteside was number nine per game that year. That was the that was when COVID happened, everybody. Yeesh. DeJounte was number seven. He was actually tied with Cat for number seven. San Antonio style. So, yeah, someone might emerge as sort of like a mid to late first rounder this year. But I don't... It's hard to see them passing Halliburton, especially if he takes even the smallest step forward in his statistics. Which, again, like, I don't know that there's a whole lot more, but just even the littlest bit more. 1.6 1.6 steals, Does could that become 1.7 or 1.8? Could his minutes per game go from 33.5 to 34.5? If you don't have a whole bunch of games where they're easing him back in, if you don't have games where they're trying to go easy on him, if Indiana really is making a push, do you see his minutes go up? Because that would translate to more rebounds, more steals, more blocks. 
There are a lot of ways, little things, there are a lot of ways that little things could move in Halliburton's favor this year. So does that move him up into that sort of six per game range? And if so, that's a pretty big leg up on Tatum per game. So then you look at Tatum and you say, okay, well, what if he was about that gap, like the 11 to 6 gap this last year? What if Tatum was the number six ranked guy? Let's just do that math and played in 74 games because that's what we're now saying Tyrese Halliburton could be. Well, in that instance, he's basically in a dead heat for the number three spot with Joel Embiid, right behind Shea Gilgis-Alexander from last year, who was the other guy we're going to talk about in a matter of moments on today's podcast. So I think there's actually a really good case this year, at least to consider Halliburton at that number three spot. Especially if you think... He's one of the better bets to play in most of the games, and especially if you think the other old goats in that upper crust can't come close to catching him in games played, and especially if you think Shea does a tiny bit less this coming year. It's a pretty compelling argument, because when you look at the other names at the top of the board, and you're like, is this guy, let's just do this sort of binary thing. Let's look at the top, 14 per game fantasy plays this last year and say, do we think they're going to do more or do we think they're going to do less this year? Don't have to worry about quantity. Is this an up arrow or a down arrow? We can't even say same. Same is not a viable answer. Jokic, slightly less. Embiid, slightly more. Shea, slightly less. Anthony Davis, slightly less. I actually kind of wanted to say same on him, but we'll go slightly less. Durant, less. Steph, eh, it's hard not to say same on that one. We'll go slightly less. Dame, less. Halliburton, probably more. Kyrie, less. Jimmy Butler, less. Jason Tatum, well, I can't see him doing more, so I guess it's either got to be same or less. JJJ, probably a little bit more. But I don't know about blocks being three a game again. Kawhi, same or slightly less if Harden's in town. Christoph Porzingis, less. There's a lot of lesses in there, folks. I could get some of those wrong, mind you, but it seems like the mores we got were Embiid, Halliburton, and JJJ. With some sames blended in that uh, maybe could complicate things a little bit. So, again, that's why you look at a guy like Halliburton, and you're like, okay, well, if he's going to do more, and he's going to play a lot more, and he was number eight per game last year, and maybe he gets up to that six range per game this season, and is also one of the more durable players, yeah, he could push number three by totals. Do I think he can get into the top three per game? Probably not. I think that would take uh, a pretty substantial bump in usage, which I don't know, again, I don't know how much more the ball could really be in his hands. But that's where I stand on Halliburton. I think there's a very reasonable case to be made to take him at that number three spot. You just have to be ready to cover points later in your draft because he's probably not going a whole lot higher. He's at, He was at almost 21 this last year. You could see 22, maybe 23, but he's not going to be one of those 30-game guys. 30 a game, I should say. 30 points per game. You'll have to find your points elsewhere, and you can still get them in the second round. But again, if you're drafting at three, that means 
Points will not be as readily available in the second round. At least not without taking a pretty good hit somewhere else. So just a few things to kind of keep in your back pocket in what I think is the second most reasonable player to take in that number three slot. Friends, remember to check out our pals at calderalab.com. Use promo code ETHOS to get 20% off your order. Today, our exclusive code is E-T-H-O-S. Caldera Lab, C-A-L-D-E-R-A, lab, L-A-B, dot com. Ethos, 20% off your order. And, I, I mean, for me, when I talk about our partners at Caldera Lab, number one, I'm extremely grateful that they actually reached out to us to get this, this partnership started. Dominic, you were the man. But more than anything, this is just a really cool product that the universe has needed. Because what are we at? Like 48, 49% of all humans are male. And most of us have not done the skincare routine. Aside from the great Mike Fiddle here at Ethos, who was telling me that he actually has taken care of his skin. And he's in his low 30s, I think he said. And everybody asked him if he's in his mid-20s. Which, for me, I probably would have gone the other way. When I'm in my mid-20s, I was wishing someone would ask me if I was 31. Now that I'm 40, I am once again wishing folks asked if I was in my 30s. Problem number one I got to take care of is my hair. Uh, That's running away from my face too fast for my liking. But problem number two is that I have been weather beaten for the last six and a half years by youths that don't let me wake up to my alarm clock. I don't get sufficient sleep at night. My gastric system can't process caffeine properly, so I'm tired. And when you feel tired, you look tired. And when you look tired, you get bags under your eyes, you get puffiness, you get lines... Because I'm tired, but I also like to be the center of attention, so I'm always smiling and laughing. So I got laugh lines, I got smile lines, I got frown lines, I got sleepy lines, I got all the stuff. And frankly, you know, I got facial hair, so that helps cover up some of the parts of my face, but probably the sun has beaten me up a little bit over the years as well. This is an opportunity with one minute in the morning and one minute in the evening to take care of your skin and finally be in a a world where there's male-specific skin care products. It's the Wild Wild West no more. Check them out. They got really good stuff. And there's a handy-dandy little quick-use card that tells you how to do it. The clean slate, the base layer, the good, and then my favorite, the personal favorite, the Icon, E-Y-E-C-O-N. Oof, my eyes, man. They really need the work. Ethos, once again, the promo code over at calderalab.com. Please do at least give them a visit. Scroll around the page, see if you see anything you like, and roll from there. We arrive, ladies and gentlemen, now at our final contestant for the number three slot in fantasy and probably the most reasonable player to take at the number three slot in fantasy because he has but one real weakness to his game, and it's three-pointers, which are so very available in fantasy now. You don't have to get all of them from Steph or Damian Lillard. Guys shoot threes all the way down the board. Buddy Heald did so. He was a late pick that got you three and a half threes per game without taking a crap on your percentages. Someone like a Cam Johnson, wink, wink, nod, nod, this year, is probably not going to get drafted as early as he could. He takes care of your three-pointers. Yeah, he's just doing that just fine. Jeremy Grant. 
is going to get some love this year. Probably deserves a little bit more. That dude might hit three three three-pointers a game this season. The list goes on and on. Tyrese Maxey, D'Angelo Russell, Michael Porter Jr., Devin Vassell. These guys are all hitting almost three three three-pointers a game. You don't need to get them all from your first-round pick. So I counter that argument right at the outset. The downside to taking a guy like Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the three slot, and and I I want to do this discussion kind of in reverse, because in all the other ones, I was saying, this is probably not my pick at three, but here's why it could be. This one, I'm saying, this probably is my pick at three, but here's why it maybe shouldn't be. Just a few devil's advocate moments for my own brain. If you're in a head-to-head league, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is really only super elite in two categories. Uh, Steals is pretty close also. But in terms of, like, the run-em-up stats for a head-to-head weekly win, that's not his area of expertise in a way that someone like Joel Embiid can win you points and rebounds possibly in a given week and set you up for a pretty juicy position in blocks. Or... If you look at some of the other early... We just talked about Tyrese Halliburton. Assists, steals, threes, possibly even percentages when you got both of those things going on. Not hyper-elite there, so let's, it's not fair to extend it quite that far. But with Shea, the scoring was wonderful this last year. The steals were pretty darn good, but they bounce from week to week a lot, a lot. That's not a category that you want to count on winning every week just because you have one elite player because... As we've seen, you know, a four-game week, someone even like a Shea could only get you four steals. And then the next week, in a three-game week, he might get you ten. So now you got seven games, you got to 14 steals, but you actually got more in the three-game week. They just, it bounces around too much. The consistent numbers for a lot of these guys, the things that fluctuate less game to game, tend to be points, rebounds, and assists and sort of three-pointers, not quite as much. So for Shea, as you're looking at the consistent marker categories, I guess you could say blocks are somewhat consistent. They don't fluctuate quite as wildly as steals do, but they do fluctuate a decent amount. Shea's only got one of those categories that we just talked about on lock. His other, one of the very big reasons that he was number three this last year is that he canned 11 free throws a game on over 90% per ball game. That's terrific, but free throws are a real crapshoot. You might have Shea on your team, and that over the course of an entire season in head-to-head is going to make you a very competitive foul-shooting team. But you might have a week where Anthony Edwards, say, who's not a great foul-shooter, but at 76%, he's going to have weeks where he shoots 90, and he's going to have weeks where he shoots 60. If you have him paired up or something... You might have a a Shea three-game week and an Anthony Edwards four-game week where he does more damage than Shea does good. I always talk on this podcast about how much I love the defensive stats and percentages. One of the reasons that those, in my estimation, are the easiest things to win in Roto Leagues is because they are the most often ignored in head-to-head leagues. The reason that they're the most ignored in head-to-head leagues is because they are the least predictable on a game-to-game, week-to-week basis. 
So saying, oh, I'm good at this particular category might be true. In this hypothetical, we can even just take it to be true. Let's just assume it to be true. It still doesn't mean you're going to win that category every week in head-to-head in a way where you're like, look, if I have a very good assisting team, unless all of my passers have a low games total week at the same time, you're probably going to win that basically every damn week. The reliability factor of particular statistical categories is a reason why those get ignored a little bit more in head-to-head. I hope that made sense. It was a little bit of a roundabout way of getting to the point. But it then also makes those easier to win in Roto. So is Shea Gilgis-Alexander a better play in Roto than he is in head-to-head? I think the answer there is probably yes. Will he get to 68 games again this coming season? I think the answer there is yes as well, barring like a legitimate you know, sprained knee, longer-term injury, which all of these guys, it could hit any of them. But just from a, like, what's the goal? When you talk about injury-prone, talk about guys that either miss a ton of ball games because of little nagging injuries, or it's not fair to call them injury-prone. It's just guys where they're, they're top gear for injuries is, like, 68 games. So, like, Kawhi Leonard comes into a season, and if everything went perfectly, he'd play 67 ball games. I think this last year, Shea went into that season where it was like, if everything goes perfectly, I'm going to play about 72, 73 games. I think this year, if everything goes perfectly, that target might even be a tiny bit higher, but it's definitely not lower. So that's a good thing you look for coming into the season. That's good, actually, on either the head-to-head or Roto's side. But for Roto, the fact that he's only kind of decent in assists for a guard, but is outstanding in steals blocks, field goal, and free throw percent, specifically for what he is on a basketball card. He's a guard, and he was a super elite in blocks and field goal percent for a guard because he's taking care of your scoring and some of your assist stuff, some of your guard stats, without bringing any of the unguard stats down. The only negative there, again, is the three-pointers. So who's your best guy to go at number three? It's probably Shea. Because even if you believe he takes a small step back in overall production this year, which I think is a pretty reasonable thing to expect, given the Thunder are going to be trying to compete every ball game, but also trying to incorporate new pieces that will probably get to do something alongside Shea. He's still their guy. He's still the horse on that team. So even if his per-game number comes down a little bit, he still had a medium-sized lead on Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant in that category, and a pretty good-sized gap between Shea and kind of that next chunk, which was like the Steph, Dame, Halliburton, Kyrie, Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum zone. But then we just talked about what if Halliburton plays 74 ball games? Well, I think there's a reasonable chance that someone like Shea might get up around 70 as well. Halliburton this coming season at 74 games versus Shea at 70. Who wins that battle? It's probably Shea, but it's also probably very close. And so then you're looking at like, okay, well, am I liable to punt points down the line? Because both of those guys are good at their percentages. They both were right on 1.6 steals per game. So then you're like, all right, well, do I want Halliburton's 10 assists or... Do I want Shea for the even better percentages and the extra blocks? That's the decision you're making there. So it kind of depends a little bit on what categories you think you can cover later. 
It kind of depends on who is going towards the end of the second round and the early third round, because that's where you'd end up having to pair this person. So if you went Halliburton at three, probably going big man at 22. If you went Gilgis Alexander at three, you might be going with another guard at 22, since Shea is not a traditional guard stat kind of guy. And we don't know who the hell is going to go there yet. And by the way, uh, while I do appreciate all of the uh, ADP data and everybody doing their way too early stuff right now on social media, y'all know this is going to change, right? (laughs) Folks are bored right now. But I think some of the stuff we're talking about right now on the podcast, I don't think that stuff is going to change very much. Shea is going to be in the running for that number three pick. So... There you go. We went through eight players that have a case for the number three slot. And we finished it up today with Shea and Halliburton. Shea, probably the best case. Halliburton right behind him. Tatum, probably a little tiny cut behind those dudes. I think Steph is probably your guy after that. Then maybe you're going Luka in the hopes that free throw gets turned around. Or if you're punting Luka, obviously you'd slot him in there whenever the hell you want. And then you've got Dame, who probably gets traded. Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis, who have the great per-game stat set, but can they make it through a season? And those are your names. What are we doing on tomorrow's pre-recorded show? Nobody knows. But this one is over. Thanks for listening, everybody. The case for number three, four-part series ends today. I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Enjoy the rest of your, what I presume, is Tuesday, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. So long for now. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.